Before we get started in this episode, a quick announcement. As you know, I'm very passionate about acceptance and commitment therapy, and I also run a busy practice in Canberra. We're currently looking for psychologists who are registered in Australia to join our team, who are also passionate about learning about ACT. We provide supervision on a group and individual basis and training around ACT. So if this is you, if you're interested, please express your interest at strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers. Look forward to hearing from you. And now back to this episode. Okay, life can be crazy. You're feeling like you're sinking. Just trying to find a meaning. It's time for better thinking. Yeah, better thinking. Time to tune in. Let's go. Welcome back to Better Thinking. My name is Nesh Nicolage. And today I have two guests joining us, Richard Hill and Matt Darlitz, who are both psychotherapists and have a really interesting background in acting and directing. Later on in life, they found a passion towards mental health and therapy and have written a book, The Practitioner's Guide to the Science of Psychotherapy. Today, we discuss their book, what they have identified as being valuable uh, appreciations and understandings about what psychotherapy is, is about and really a, an approach to how to learn about psychology and psychotherapy and I think some interesting perspectives come from both Richard and Matt and I think you'll enjoy this show. Richard, Matt, big thank you and welcome to the show. Hey Nash, good to be here. Yeah, thanks very much for, for having us on. It's great. I've been, been looking for, we've, we've enjoyed looking at your office. It's fantastic. <laughs> it is. Look, it's, uh, it's exciting to have you both here um, today. This is the first time I've had dual guests, so um, it'll oh, wow. be a different dynamic, uh, but also I think it's an exciting different uh, flow of uh, different ideas and perspectives in in this space of you know therapy and and what it, what what psychotherapy means the science around and the like and it's, I think it's nice to uh, have a have an open roundtable discussion so thank you for both making yourselves available. Beautiful. Now maybe we can start with finding out a little bit of background uh, from from you both. Uh, um, I might might start with uh, yourself, Richard. All oh, right, me yes. The, 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 a long, a long and fascinating journey. The, this is actually, I don't know, maybe my third or fourth career, but my really my second uh, sort of expression of engagement with with uh, human beings and being human. My it was my first uh, career was as a as an actor and a professional entertainer, uh, singer, songwriter. So I was that till I was probably early forties. And um, unfortunately, I didn't become famous. Uh, I don't know what happened. But uh, we had a good go at it and uh, did some wonderful things and met some wonderful people and traveled a lot. And, uh, and then I began studying because uh, I was so interested in language, obviously. So I started uh, doing bits and pieces, did a linguistics uh, undergraduate degree. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Human behavior. Oh, yeah. So then I did a, a degree, a master's degree in social ecology. And then I thought I'd teach, so I better do one in education. And then I thought I'd do all this brain and mind stuff, so I better do one in that. So just sort of uh, things just emerged, did a lot of study, actually just about to launch into a PhD, um, which would be, you know, better late than never. And I am hiring a wheelchair for the, for the celebration. Uh, 
but the uh, the whole framework of uh, a lifetime of trying to engage uh, with the, the human experience, um, and I just did my my practical first, and I did my um, academic uh, later, which is not a bad way of doing things. So met Matt a, a bunch of years ago. We started writing and working together, and then finally he invited me to join the science of psychotherapy. And uh, good gosh, here we are. Uh, <laughs> there's there's the potted history. Matt, how's how's your history pot? Yeah, uh, yeah. So um, I also spent a lot of years at university, about thirteen years full time at university. So a perpetual student. Uh, the, the learning has never stopped, whether I'm at university or not. Started off in psychology. Uh, didn't after undergraduate I, I didn't go on to do postgraduate in psych I went to the conservatorium and I did music and I did an undergraduate and a, a postgraduate course there in composition I thought I was going to be a film composer uh, after spending a year in London uh, you know living on uh, cheap wine and rice and trying to <laughs> make it in the industry I came home and I got a real job uh, this time as a paramedic and I spent a decade as a as an advanced care paramedic, uh, learning a little bit more about uh, humanity and uh, physiology and all of that, which was terribly interesting. And it sort of a, I got a renewed interest in psychology, so I went back and uh, did a master's degree in a, a course that sort of combined counselling psychology with neuroscience, which was very interesting. They were running that at the University of Queensland at the time. And then after that, I uh, started the uh, the neuropsychotherapist and uh, hooked up with Richard and we've been doing that since uh, 2013. Yeah, and we, and we shifted it uh, to, to shift the brand from the neuropsychotherapist, mm. which, which was sort of something which was associated with a, 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 an early piece of work and realised mm. that actually there's more to us than that. And in fact, being too specific and too uh, siloed and too... Uh, uh, disciplinary is is the wrong approach, and so we shifted the the brand name to the science of psychotherapy, and uh, we've been forever trying to explain to people um, that we're not talking about the the modern sort of uh, academic form of of scientific work, which is a bit reductionist and and uh, and differentiated, but more that broader. Uh, Greek aspect of science, which is the, mm. the learning about, the, the knowledge of. And, and interestingly enough, we're, we're almost full circle with our talents because now we're making documentaries within the science of psychotherapy. Uh, Matt's got a film, his kids are doing, uh, uh, a cinematographer. That's great. And of course, Matt is composing scores for our documentaries. <laughs> and I'm using my voiceover talents that I learned uh, back in, uh, in an acting school. So, um, it's wonderful to see how your life, everything's useful uh, yeah. when, when, you're, when you're creative. It's, it's wonderful to be able to see the synergy of all of these things coming together that we've you know, had a passion for and have studied. And, um, and as Richard was saying, we went from the neuropsychotherapist to the science of psychotherapy and now our, um, our sort of branching out into documentary world, we're, we're naming that the science of us. Uh, I, I'm thinking, Richard, we're getting broader and broader. I think the, the next iteration should be just us or yes. humanity or something. Besides, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we, keep, we keep coming back to the fact that, gee, all this stuff is here. Uh, mm. All this stuff is here to look at. And 
what we keep trying to do is explain it as a restriction. As a, uh, I, I was just writing something the other day in the recent magazine that, that we, we've, we've fallen into this trap of developing methodologies that satisfy the theory. Uh, and kind of forget where the theory came from, and the theory actually came from what already exists. Um, and uh, we're just trying to trying to understand and explain. Uh, and now we come back to just our simple practice, like you with people sitting in the chair. We're just trying to understand that person on the other side of the uh, of the table. Yeah, maybe I can start with something broad about what are the uh, primary learnings that you've both had not not only in your studies but as human beings you know on, on this psychotherapy you know perspective of, of being with people of you know listening and learning and, and and how we as human beings get stuck you know how do we potentially untangle ourselves what what, what are the pitfalls that we have as human beings from from your perspective uh, I think one of the things um, that I learned in, in doing psychology and in, in emergency services, you know, as a, as a paramedic, is that there is an awful overlap in what is going on in the mind and the body and in our, you know, social connectedness. And, you know, we can't just be addressing you know the mind on its own. it's it's in, we have to address the mind in context. And, uh, you know, I, as a paramedic, you know, you're, you're a counsellor, you know, in the back of the ambulance uh, with, with people. And it's not just about what's going on physiologically, it's what's going on you know, socially and, you know, psychologically for them. And reciprocally, you know, there's a lot of psychological stuff that's going on that has a direct impact on their physiology. And this synergy between the psychology, physiology and, you know, social connectedness, all of this uh, really grabbed my attention and I started reading the interpersonal neurobiology crew, everything that they were saying, and, and Richard, Richard was terribly involved in, in all of that um, in back when I first met him. And I think from, from those, you know, experiences forward, uh, my conception of, you know, dealing with mental health issues is to deal with the whole person in context. And uh, I think that's been a, you know, great motivator to learn a lot more. As you can see from, the, you know, my, my bookshelf, I, I'm always wanting to learn a lot more about a whole lot of different aspects of humanity. And some of those things reach into, you know, quantum theory and, the the history of art and a whole lot of things which are, seem very you know which are tangential to uh, what what person what someone might be suffering. Yeah, it's good stuff, Matt. The, the, this what's beautiful, I think, as you go along. Uh, see, for me, coming from the from the perspective of being a, 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 a performer, an actor, someone who is engaged in hundreds and hundreds of lives, uh, talk about uh, you know excellent field work. Uh, I actually did a workshop at the Ericsson Foundation a few years ago entitled Almost Everything I Know in Psychotherapy I Learned in Acting School. Uh, and it's actually true. Um, rather than just being a sort of a, a cutesy uh, type of element, that aspect of um, the, the nature of what creates the individual 
person at the time, uh, what I what you know, we might call the me, the uh, the thing that emerges from the experience, the person, the persona, the schemas, the various things that emerge into the into the experience, can vary enormously. And you know, I could be playing Hamlet, and then you know, the director says uh, cut or pause or you know, we'll take a break, and then. Uh, Two seconds later, I'm no longer Hamlet, I'm Richard again. Uh, and uh, we had a, a, a most extraordinary uh, exercise that we used to do. We used to get a, a, a large circle, you know, draw a large circle and divide it up into to various quadrants, maybe four, maybe five. And we would give each quadrant a, um, a persona, some kind of human experience. It might be an old person, might be a young person, might be a different gender, might be a... a, a uh, uh, some homosexual experience, it might be an asexual experience, and you would simply, literally step from quadrant to quadrant and feel yourself uh, reorganize the potentials within you and what you're what you're capable of, and find that this could emerge. So when I got into a, a situation of counselling and I looked across and I saw somebody who was uh, anxious or depressed or expressing some kind of affect disorder or, or, or difficulty or structure. I just thought, ah, what's the play? What's the, what's the drama that is creating this to emerge? And how can we change that? And then, of course, as I studied, there were lots and lots of mechanisms and methods and, and techniques that we could use to stimulate and assist and facilitate this person's change. Uh, because as different from me as the, the competent actor who, when the director said, cut, I was able to move from one to the other, uh, sometimes we can't. And we know this with some actors as well. Peter Sellers, one of his greatest problems was knowing who he was. He got so uh, uh, disappeared into all these different characters. So that would be one of the most important things, the, the diversity of our personal expression, that we are many me's uh, from a basic eye. And then the second thing that was extraordinary was was meeting Ernest Rossi and uh, bothering him to the point that he took me on as an, uh, more as an apprentice than a, than a mentee. And then he took me into the world of knowledge and that engagement because he's a great, uh, extraordinary uh, visionary. And so we went into genetics and we went into, and in the last few years, quantum, but sadly he passed away a couple of years ago. So we're, we're only a, a tenth of the way into that. But uh, the neuroscience and that blending of understanding, using understanding to enhance or using knowledge to enhance our understanding rather than, um, than the other way around. Richard, you just reminded me too, when I was doing um, composition and training to be a film composer, very similar to, you know, being an actor, you have to interpret, you know, what's what's happening on the screen. Mm. You have to understand all of the subtleties of the, the emotional elements that are coming about and then translate that into some sort of musical, you know, uh, motif. And, and I think that for me also, like it was for you as an actor, you know, developing that that empathic attunement to what's happening on the screen or for you what's happening in the character um, mm. has been has been very instrumental in in developing myself as a as a therapist but then also how i you know view therapy per se it's interesting hearing from from both of you with that background in acting and directing uh, in in that as an actor I, 
I can only assume that, but you are putting on a persona which has its own characteristics and traits and biases and view, you know, view of the world, which can be very much different to yourself uh, or might have some aspects that are, that are similar to, to you, but you are able to, uh, in, in, in essence, observe the character uh, while also being that character or playing that character. And as a director, you're in the observer role all the time. You're, you're you know, just noticing and observing and, and in some sense both those spaces have a relationship with therapy in, in that, you know, the, the observer is incredibly helpful, you know, because they're, they're non-judgmental. Um, you know, obviously as a director you probably do have to hold a level of judgment otherwise all you're doing is you know, observing you, you you need to have an active role but you know this this observing concept is so important that it's non-judgmental and can see see you know for example thoughts as thoughts feelings as feelings without attaching too much meaning to them but maybe then revisiting and observing from another perspective as as, as, as well it, at least that, that, that's what jumped out at me from hearing from both of you. Well, there's that, that interesting aspect that which we talk about in quantum uh, a little bit more uh, and in complexity theory, but the observer operator, this, this capacity for a single entity, and, and let's just talk about us humans for the moment rather than going off into too much peculiarity, but just looking at us, that we have the capacity uh, to both be the actor, be doing something, and at the very same time, observe that doing, and they be separate. They be separatable. Uh, it certainly that was a uh, that was something you need to practice quite a lot. And of course, that's what acting was terrific as doing. I mean, I I could be doing my Hamlet character, uh, but at the same time, so I'm I'm the, the 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 operator of the of the performance. But at the same time, I'm observing. And saying, "Oh, that was a good bit. You know, you do that one tomorrow night because that 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 was good." And also, hey, oh gosh, there's a cockroach walking across the floor. Uh, please don't pay attention to that because that's not in the supposed to be there. Uh, and I say that because that would happen quite often in uh, <laughs> in theatre. Uh, and this, um, but what's interesting is is when you look when you move into the um, the aspect of the individual who's coming to you with uh, with problems is that their operator is certainly expressing the difficulties that they're that they they're, they're going through so they're expressing uh, uh, a depression or they're expressing you know difficult behaviors or expressing emotions and it's their observer that has the biases it's their observer that is mucked up because they can't see it. Well, this is one of the aspects, anyway, of looking at it. How is their observer going? Uh, and very often, uh, I've got a client at the moment, and, and I, I said to something just the other day, I said, oh, look, you're going down that path again, um, you know, down into the, the traumatic rabbit hole. And she said, how do you know that? And I said, how do you not? And we went into a deep discussion. And so we've been doing a lot of work on her observer. So what we might call uh, the, uh, what we, we might call the, 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 uh, the, the self-awareness. We might call uh, the, getting the felt sense. So 
when we say a felt sense, what we're doing is we're, we're taking uh, an objective, meaning a looking into view of what the, their operator, their being, is already doing. So in other words, you, you're not talking about getting a felt sense that doesn't exist. You're getting a felt sense of something that does exist, but you're not able to engage with it. And of course, then we get into the other uh, area immediately of, uh, okay, so why aren't you able to integrate those two elements, which is what we talk about in interpersonal neurobiology, uh, Dan Siegel and Luke Cozzolino and Alan Shaw and, and, and many of these things. And then, of course, Ian McGilchrist, you know, when we talk about left and right hemisphere integration and top to bottom integration and all these aspects, why aren't we integrating? And then, of course, we start to piece together and we get the enormous value of the researchers and the um, uh, the producers of uh, uh, explanations and understandings of how these barriers come into place, you know, attachment uh, issues, insecure attachment, trauma barriers, so on and so forth, and then mechanisms, understanding of mechanisms that the uh, the client can utilise to resolve those issues. So all this starts mm. to play together into a, and I like to think in like this rather than you know, like this, that sort of systemic thing rather than the linear thing. Yeah, and it Before is quite jump, incredible. Jump across to you, Matt, my apologies. Um, uh, it, it sounds to me like uh, the space of reflective practice is, is, is somewhat what we're trying to achieve there by observing the observer, you know, having, having an opportunity after the fact to reflect to go back and, and ask ourselves, you know, how did that scenario play out? How could have I done it? Oh. How could have I responded in a particular way? How might I do it in the future? And, and we, we must practice that we, if we're going to improve as therapists or maybe if we're going to improve as um, spouses or siblings, partners, um, friends, uh, colleagues, that we get an opportunity to reflect and, and uh, repeat, you know, re but repeat with a maybe a more nuanced approach that we respond a little bit different as a therapist or, you know, as, as, a, as an actor, you know, you get to go yeah. out and say, I'm, I'm doing this, this um, scene one more, one more time and I'm going to learn from the seven prior uh, ways that I've expressed it or, or um, how I've read my lines or my tone, my timing and so on, that the, the reflective side I'm hearing is is extremely important. And I just, Matt, you, I know you've got some things, but I'll just because in, in relation to that, because it, it's so interesting. What we do is we talk about that reflection as being the observer. What you're actually doing, when you're doing the experience, you're the observer operator at the time. And then afterwards, you are the observer operator again of the observer operator that you were. So in that reflection, you're having an objective look at your personal expression of your reflection. So you reflect coming up with conclusions and you also are observing your reflection. So you're, you're there's quite a lot of depth it's explaining. Hopefully that, that explains it uh, as simply as we can. Um, but the, um, the, 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 and the framework of this, I mean, we, we hear it 
well, certainly Scott Miller is talking a lot now about deliberate practice and trying to encourage uh, therapists to, at the end of the session, to observe and reflect and do all those sorts of bits and pieces and improve. But if you look at the observer operator and then the observer operator reflecting, what you do is you actually have a moment-by-moment -moment experience, which then can be re examined moment by moment and explored so there's there's enormous number of layers and this is of course systemic thinking uh, uh that that expands that capacity but but reflection is i mean i'm astounded that people can actually get from one end of of a psychotherapy session to the other without ever really taking an observer a reflection uh responsive feedback shift as they go as an, as an actor does with the audience making some reaction because they're so busy following, uh, they're following a, a formality, you know, a, a method or a, a thing that they missed the fact that the, the client wasn't enjoying it until they asked them at the end. So there's this, this, this um, many layers of observing and operating can occur at the same time and reflection, but yes, it's very important. Sorry, Matt, I, I just wanted to add that other layer, which we haven't talked about before, I don't think. No, no, that's, uh, you know, I was just going to add in, in talking about layers, you know, there's, I think it's amazing what we do as therapists when you think about, so we're in our observing self, we're regulating our own affect, we're having an empathic attunement with the client, we're also trying to understand what's happening in their higher cortical, you know, um, cognitive appraisal of themselves, and we're doing all of this simultaneously. So this, this capacity to be in our bodies, in our observing self and in the client all at the same time, all receiving feedback, um, it's, it's incredible. Um, and I don't think we have a full appreciation of what we're actually doing. An amazing, yes, as Dan Siegel talks about mindsight, the ability to actually replay the other person's experience in your own mind. So we're, we're, we're replaying them, we're replaying us. But then there's the, the natural self-organisation, which is producing things spontaneously. It's a, we're, pretty, we're pretty extraordinary. We're pretty mm. extraordinary. Now, in terms of, you know, why we've written the book and uh, why are we going on about all of these different things? Um, if I could just touch on this uh, intuition that we, you know, we rely on, um, our intuition is built upon a whole lot of stuff that we, uh, we learn about, we know, we experience, um, and that we sort of bed down. And then in the moment, you know, things sort of bubble up and we have that uh, intuitive, you know, an impression or a, um, knowledge sort of just comes to the surface. Um, but it doesn't just come out of nowhere. And, you know, this is where, you know, we need to know a lot about a lot of different things. You know, we don't, we don't necessarily need to be an expert in every area, but we at least need to be aware and we need to know about, as Richard was saying earlier. And so this is where, you know, we want to bring people to a banquet of a whole multitude of things and to, you know, to, to, to try everything and to have a bit of an experience and knowledge of a whole lot of things so that when it comes to their intuition in the therapy session, there's a lot that they can draw on. Um, and it may not be, you know, uh, you might not be consciously aware um, that you're drawing on those things that you've learned about. Um, but they will bubble to the surface. And uh, uh, Richard, do you want to maybe give some examples of how that well, happens? Yeah, well, this this is the thing that, that, that 
when we do get bound up in our um, in our method, sometimes we can miss the the, the changes. And I I'll be doing a, a presentation in a, a few weeks, and and I think we can almost look at the therapeutic experience in in five sort of regions although it's a venn diagram it's not a it's, it's not a, an isolated thing but we have uh, sometimes a client just needs comfort they, they just and we talk about this a lot holding the space which is terrific sometimes they just need some skills so that's really what has been unfortunately isolated but called coaching uh, they just need they just need you know how do i go out and and get a job you know sometimes we need uh, uh, sort of counseling which i think is where we're working in in the current uh, in the present uh, the immediate needs and i think we need to divide that up between counseling and psycho psychological counseling where sometimes we're just getting them a job getting them a home you know getting them some food getting them out of a a dangerous uh, situation but then there's also the immediate uh, affective and emotional disturbances that are occurring so people who are anxious about and anxious now because of covid for example they may never have been anxious in their lives so this is this is not necessarily about their past traumas this is just now so we've got that and then there's that psychotherapeutic psychological uh, and then the 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 the, the prime extent of that, the, the physiological thing, the psychiatry, that's when we're starting to look at what pre-exists. And so we may be going back to psychological history, biological history, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and so that sort of framework uh, could appear all at the, almost all at the same time. You could be comforting someone uh, making them feel okay, giving them rapport, settling down. And then they're saying, oh, I just need uh, this. And you say, well, here's something to do there. And then they say something that indicates that this has been going on for a long time. And then suddenly you're over really dealing with past issues. And we need to be that flexible. And in order to be that flexible, uh, you need to know the existence of these possibilities. And uh, most of us get it through experience. Um, uh, and to some degree, we get it from, from grad school, but we tend to be taught the elements in grad school. It's like going and learning piano. You tend to be taught the scales, uh, but then it's letting them flow. And then eventually, uh, you improvise the notes as required. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some, you know, times that I've had, uh, you know, clients that are manifesting a psychological you know they might be anxious or, or depressed and just the thought comes will come to me you know about some other a physiological or a lifestyle um, change that you know maybe may be useful and uh, often those things are the key um, you know I remember uh, one woman in particular um, and she was terribly anxious and the thought just came to me about her thyroid and I just said well um, What's going on with your thyroid? And she go, oh, um, she was surprised that I would even mention that. And she did have a bit of a history with her thyroid. And um, and I said, well, do you think you should get that checked out again? And she did. And she found that the answer to her anxiety was actually uh, something that was going on in her thyroid. And she, I was able to, you know, pass her off to a naturopath who was able to tweak things and and that dealt with her anxiety. There was no need for, you know, memory reconsolidation or, or any deep psychological work. It was purely a physiological thing that was happening with her. 
Yes, and the and the sign and the emotive, the affective state was emerging as a message, saying, That's "Hey, right. pay attention." You know, I, I often say to people, you know, three times a day, you get this very blunt, really dull, uninformative, but broadly motivating message that emerges out of really what is occurring for about an hour or or longer, and about forty different. Um, molecular and bio, uh, biochemical processes and the best we come up with in our conscious awareness is I'm hungry yeah. uh, that's it, we don't know what for but it's enough to motivate us and so on an evolutionary level a lot of the things that emerge to the surface are only there to motivate us to move towards um, some kind of resolution and uh, this is why we talk about you know it's not just about fixing the symptoms. It's about seeing where the symptoms, uh, why they emerge. Mm. And, and in saying that too, you know, I, I'm not an expert, you know, in uh, all of the physiology. I mean, yes, I've had a background as a paramedic, so I might have a little bit more uh, than than many psychologists. But you, you know, you when you when you're studying psychology, you you get a, you know, a fair degree of understanding of physiology. And so it's just building on that and continuing to build on that so that you're aware. We better let Nesh get in there, Matt. I'm sorry. One of the really (laughs) fascinating things that I find, and I just haven't been able to unravel it, I'm not quite sure if I I will, is this uh, concept of intuition, you know, how, how we connect things together and one of the most interesting sort of things of 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 late that i have discovered is that in uh skinner's bf skinner's work where he put a pigeon um, and rats in a box and got them to effectively hit a button that would release some food um, and and looked at the the behavioral response of, of the animals what we learnt at university is that obviously if you put the animals into a, a variable uh, reward system, meaning they don't know if they're going to get a pellet every time that they strike the button three times or nine times or two times, that it's varied, they, they strike the button um, most vigorously. But what we didn't hear about is that in actual fact, uh, each of the animals did something really interesting. Um, So some would, for example, flick their head to the left-hand side before they hit the button. Another one would, you know, uh, wag their, you know, uh, tail in a particular way before they hit the button. And and in actual fact, it it kind of uh, showed that they connected that, uh, hitting the button wasn't just about hitting the button. If, if you shifted your head to the left and then hit the button, you'd get the reward, which, which means we wanted, you know, animals want to associate things. And uh, obviously that part has been cut out in, in, in research and discussed as it's only striking the button. But we do this really strange thing where we connect things and, that to me is, is really fascinating because when we talk about intuition, and I know this is what we do in therapy, we, we have an inkling to go in one direction, not another, or to pose a question in a particular way. 
And I'm wondering how much of that is just me being a pigeon flicking my head before I hit the button. And if I get a valuable response, then I feel as though I've got the magic sauce. Um, so long as I flick the head with the next client and then ask that question in that way, I'm going to get a really good good result versus um, you know the direct button. And that to me is really fascinating because as humans, so much of us is, is based on these narratives, on these explanations, on uh, you know, meaning, fancy words, theories. And I'm wondering how, how much we're still animals. Yeah, this is really, it's a really good thing to bring up because we've had this, this uh, movement through the, the therapeutic, the psychotherapeutic, the psychological framework. I mean, we, we talk about the three developments, the psychodynamic uh, sort of coming in through Freud, then Skinner coming in with behaviorism, and then Maslow and others uh, bringing us into humanism, uh, of, of which um, the, the, the person-centered response from Rogers was one of the principal uh, emergences from that shift of thinking. And um, what Matt and I are interested, more interested in saying, um, it isn't isolated. It, it, they aren't separatable. And there is absolutely, we are, we are just an animal. And absolutely, we are not just an animal. Uh, we are a, a specific uh, human being. And absolutely, we do things through behavioural things. But absolutely, we do them through psychodynamic things. And absolutely, we do them in broader contextual things. And the way to think about it, which is which is difficult, because we're taught to think to, to learn what what is right, you know, for someone what what is true, but actually all you've got to do is be an actor for twenty years, and you you find yourself doing all those things all at the same time, and it's not confusing. You just go, oh yeah. So this idea of looking and what Matt was saying in the beginning, this this contextual framework, in that we are intuitive most of the time. In other words, we have an, an inner work, and this is what the insula, the part of the brain uh, called the insula, which uh, sort of hides in a, a convenient little fold inside the brain. So the part of the brain that really looks at our inner workings is actually sort of an inner fold of the brain. It's uh, quite interestingly metaphoric. But this sense of inner being, we're talking about coming up into our conscious awareness and that our conscious awareness is what it's about but this is what I was saying about being hungry. Your conscious awareness isn't aware of anything other than the motivating factor, the thing that will generate self-directed action. Uh, and what confuses us is the idea that the consciousness, that our cognitive awareness is all we need to understand. But it is our cognitive awareness, which is our, which is our, our doorway, uh, now, there's wonderful work, and we talk about this in the book in relation to what an emotion is. Uh, and we go through various uh, people who've talked about uh, the different aspects. We try and give a broad picture as we go. But I'm most uh, engaged in the work that Joseph Ledoux and Richard Brown and some others are doing, looking at emotions as several stages of, of, of uh, awareness that eventually rise up into the our cognitive awareness, but they're only a representation. And that representation, now going back to what you were saying in the beginning of part of your comments there, uh, Nesh, the, the associations and what becomes, so 
therefore our emotional state and this is one of the things i love about them our emotional state is a cognitive or conscious perception of something that is occurring to someone now that only occurs in the high representation that is able to access autobiographical memory in lower parts in the subcortical and particularly going back just into the biological you know going back into the um the biochemical uh, activities that occur the peptides the hormones and then going down again even deeper into the the genetics and looking at the epigenetics and the the changes in the uh, uh gene expression and of course state dependent gene expression so depending on your feel that the body is also doing a whole bunch of things totally out of uh with no relationship to your cognitive awareness at all and then it produces and puts those things up so it's an incredible myriad of of um trickery that is a magic that is that is going on and so when people say oh you know i have to analyze i have to know what my my intuition is the intuition is saying oh for goodness sake i'm just telling you you're hungry so you'll go to the fridge can you just learn how to cook that would be that would solve your your problems uh so we get these these curious wonders that emerge into our head where we're sitting with a client and then suddenly we go they've got this they've got that and they've got this problem and that behavior and then we say have you ever thought about learning how to cook where on earth did that come from or have you ever thought about looking at your thyroid because and it's because we are in tune it's when we become attuned to the client and so there's not only this cognitive mentalization that we need to have but there's this physical um self-organizing non-conscious engagement and we know there's a few of these these mirror neurons for example we know there we've 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 learned that we do have this non-conscious awareness of somebody else's motor capacities and that we analyze those motor capacities or assess those motor capacities in relation to our own motor capacities and so and we do this all beneath conscious awareness because of course it's very handy to know someone's coming at you with a with an axe to to help chop wood or to help chop you so we're we're trying to actually get ahead the body actually finds conscious awareness useful but it's slow compared to um, to itself it's a, you know it's a half a second or so behind the game so intuition is that um conscious awareness of something that's already occurred because that which has occurred is the immediate processes that have kept us alive as a species for the past million years mm. and just coming back to classical conditioning i think you would have to have a fairly limited um repertoire of intervention that you would continually try to reapply reapply to every client and then you see some wins every now and then you'd have to be pretty persistent in that for classical conditioning i think to to kick in and then that's the that's the thing that's driving your decision making but if you're open and you have a large toolbox you know and you're you're open to being responsive um response able as as richard says um then i i don't think that classical conditioning 
uh, sort of would come into play so much. Uh, I may be completely wrong, but that's that's my actually that's my intuition. Uh, yeah, no, but but it is true. Ernie was talking about Ernest Rossi was talking about this in 1985. Is that uh, just as you were saying, Nish, the, the the therapist does this a few times and it works, and they're going, oh, I'm pretty good. Um, but actually, what worked was an interactive engagement. Uh, where a, a process was um, uh, thrown into the mix, which the client found useful, uh, rather than the therapist being the clever person who's fixed the client's inabilities. It was the client who had the abilities. They always had the abilities. They just, they just were blocked from it. And um, uh, I, I had a, we had a lovely talk with someone a little while ago, and he, he said, I had a client, and he said, I'd thrown everything at, at them, and, and nothing seemed to work. Uh, and then the client actually came up with an idea. And so we went with that. And I didn't know what I was doing because I didn't know what I was doing. But it worked. And it was like, ah, oh, yeah. yeah we, we have our own capacities for, for seeking well-being. Um, but we're, we're, we're blocked from them. And, uh, and, and that, that, that usefulness. So maybe it's a behavioral thing that's needed. Maybe it's a uh, comfort thing. Maybe it's a uh, academic thing. Maybe it's a, a cognitive thing. Most likely, it's an experience within which all those things uh, find, find their own uh, value. Absolutely. I'm just so aware of confirmation bias that, uh, you know, on, on, on the flip side is, you know, rejection bias that we reject anything that's not in line with with our current belief system or you know the psychological model um you know i i know for example i'm you know very much in i can say in love with the act um uh, therapy approach uh, and so i view not only my therapy through that lens but my life through that lens i I use that language in, in, in my personal life. Um, it, it's something that kind of you know, is, is, is in my space. But that would also, you know, be potentially blinding um, because I'm, I'm, I'm forever confirming something. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, that doesn't make it right nor wrong, but I'm just mindful of, of these biases that, that, that are there um, and this pursuit of trying to figure out what is it that the therapist is doing that that um, you know makes that difference? What what is it in the process, or you know why can two people be doing CBT, but one's just getting you know a, a, a better therapeutic outcome, um, you know, longitudinally with clients than, than another? What what is that that substance in in you know that that, that that's so elusive? You know. It's hard to find because we know, you know, whenever we do, you know, good uh, science, and I know that this is sort of changing the the uh, parameters a little bit because we're not talking about the the science of psychology, more so more so the, the learning of it and, and piecing these things things together. Um, uh, but we're trying to um, also figure out with 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 some certainty. What are these elements? And and, and um, to me, that that's been a fascination. You know, what, what yeah. even how we use our language or tone. I mean, these are all our soft skills. But to me, that's the most exciting part of of delivery, language, what's not said, um, 
you know, uh, allowing clients to self-discover rather than you know trying to get them to discover. There's it's just so much. It's it's a forever sort of um, uh, learning, but it it still always begs the question of. Am I learning or is this my my current narrative? Because I've I've been through so many narratives and I don't know what to believe anymore. <laughs> well, let, let me um, uh, let me hesitate to um, actually suggest that I think I know what the answer is, um, which I learned in acting school, uh, but also through Ernest Rossi, and which is going to be the subject of the the PhD to see exactly. What, what you're talking about, people experiencing this positive response, this positive action. What am I doing? Uh, I mean, I, I love ACT too. ACT is great, acceptance and commitments. But I've got to tell you, as a human being, I go, duh. Uh, when, what do you think Hamlet was doing when he was sitting there saying, to be or not to be? That was He was trying to figure out what he could accept, what he should, what he should you know, do I have to do this? Do I not have to do this? He was, he was, simulta- he was spontaneously doing it himself. And so... The nature of ACT has been, is within us already. And it's just beautiful the way it's been explored and investigated and expanded and verbalized so that we can, we can utilize it from, from the top down as well as allow it to emerge from the bottom up. But to me, the secret of successful therapy is when you enter a responsive state. I love the person-centered I think that's 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 where we start. That's great. It's done a lot of things, and it's shifted us from the therapist totally dominant state. But the therapist is still delivering uh, the process, but allowing the client to be important and relational. But by being responsive, what you're doing is you're doing your the difference between the two CBT workers. One is delivering CBT. The one is utilizing CBT, and in response to the client's uh, the benefits that the client is getting. And I would suggest they might not even, and a lot of people don't even think they're doing it. I think client responsiveness is very prevalent and prominent, and that's what we'll be looking at in the PhD. Because you say to someone, well, let's, let's look at, uh, let's look at the, you know, the beliefs you have around this, um, this particular uh, action, this particular uh, behaviour that you exhibit. And the client sits down and dutifully begins to do the appropriate paperwork. Now, there's a chance that, that there's a good chance that that client will have some success because it's a natural process. But if that client's sitting there and says, "But you know, there's this other thing that bothers me," it's the therapist that goes, "Oh, what's that?" As different from, "Yes, well, we'll get to that after we've done this. You know, this um, what we're doing at the moment. What it, what is important." I mean, I had a, a, a lovely chap, uh, a psychotherapist, uses hypnotherapy. And so he does get people coming and say, I want to give up smoking or, you know, I want to learn how to do a suggestion, which again is also just the therapist thinking they're important. But anyway, he was working with it and he's uh, one of my supervisees. So he, he let himself just allow, say, we want to do this work. Is there anything else that you that you're just thinking of at the moment as I'm going through this. And she said, well, I don't know whether it's relevant, but I was raped when I was 12 and I haven't really talked about it with anybody. <laughs> like, oh, oh, how fascinating that this person had held this, held this back. But it was something about my, um, my colleague that allowed her belief that she was able to uh, engage in the process and he allowed it and listened. So that responsive 
alertness of almost letting the client, we talk about, you know, the, the therapist is driving and the client's giving directions. It's actually, I think, the other way around. What I call, the, you know, the tail is wagging the dog. Uh, we just let the dog do stuff. And if the tail is wagging, then let's enhance it and develop it and utilize. So I would suggest that your preponderant use of, of ACT is largely supported by the fact that the engagement responsively is positive. Uh, and so you end up going there. What's interesting and what I would love you to do is the next time when you're in the middle of doing ACT and you shift into something slightly different, that will be the interesting thing. Say, oh, why did I shift? What did they do that I intuitively shifted, uh, uh, shifted with? That's when you start to... Uh, become interesting as we learned in acting school you know you go out you deliver a line it's what the audience does that tells you how uh to deliver it and if you listen to the audience you'll have a good show if you don't we have what we call a wooden actor and i think we've got a lot of wooden therapists but even a wooden actor can get a reasonable applaud at the end of the show hmm. yeah and i think you know whatever theoretical framework you're coming from and i think we do need to you know when we're based in a theoretical framework it gives us some confidence um but we're, we're not asking people to abandon their theoretical frameworks we're asking them to expand on that and as richard said you know to be response able uh within those frameworks and to expand those frameworks so if the framework was a house have all the doors and windows open and and be open to other things hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and let the client choose the room they're interested in. Yes. <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about, about the book. Matt. Well, it's quite a journey. We start off in the brain, uh, the central nervous system, and we go through a lot of you know, technical stuff about uh, what's under the hood in terms of the, you know, the neural system, and uh, we go through a lot of that. And then we, and then we sort of expand out uh, from that into different psychopathologies, uh, the different things that can go wrong, what's happening from a genetic basis. Uh, Richard is the, uh, the expert in when it comes to the genetic aspect, which plays, uh, you know, into our mental health. And then we look at how this, uh, how the other, how other experts, you know, use this information and how they integrate it into their practice. And so as we go from, you know, the nervous system through to psychopathologies to how these are practically worked out, uh, we hope that everyone would have a, a very broad, expansive feel for what it is, <clears throat> you know, to deal with humanity in the therapy room. And I think one of the, the things that we we enjoy the most, and I enjoyed writing the most, certainly filling in the technical background. And I know I did a, a brain and mind sciences uh, uh, master's degree at Sydney Uni with uh, uh, the Brain and Mind Institute there. And that was fantastic because it filled in all my theoretical knowledge, filled in all the gaps. You know, I'd just sort of been sort of self-taught up to there. Um, so... I was always sitting up the back as a very annoying student and there were lovely professors there. I, I, I was the old guy at the back and they'd say some fabulous bit of technical stuff and I'd put my hand and say, and that's good, but how does that 
relate to the human experience? How does that emerge? What shifts in us? And and um, some <laughs> some some lecturers loved me, and some uh, found me a little bit tiresome. So in the book, what we've done is we've um, uh, scattered, like littered. We but we have breaks. It's a literal box we call a clinical note. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was noticing this morning as I was just flipping through, you know, we go and we describe the HPA axis, which is very important in our understanding of the nature of upregulation of the sympathetic nervous system, the hypothalamus, um, pituitary, adrenal axis. So if you've got the theory down, then we have a clinical note that says, okay, now here's what you might see. Here's what's going to be on the surface, these emergent properties. And you can have depression coming out of HPA axis activity. You can have anxiety coming out of HPA axis problems. You can have um, aggressive behaviors. You can have passive behaviors. You can have lethargy. You can have good sleep. You can have bad sleep. You can have daytime sleep. There's lots and lots of ways in which this thing will emerge. And we need to be sensitive to these, to the possibilities, and expand our mind uh, into uh, a knowledge base uh, that allows us to either, uh, where we might have an expertise, as you say, it's not a bias, I think it's a, a preference, and it's a comfort, and it's a confidence zone. But that also gives you the confidence, and the um, what we need to move away from bias is then to you put it as our knowledge as a springboard, where we go, oh, this actually doesn't fit my preference wonder what else it could be i wonder who else i could utilize to assist me or i wonder what research i need to do which of course goes back to what you're saying before that reflection it's not only what i did in the session which was good and which was not good where didn't i know stuff uh and that's interesting and this is this is one of the chapters that um is a part of my work in the in the last chapter which is future thinking is the uh the power and wonder and usefulness of curiosity in in the frame as different from knowledge base but curious curiosity to find how does my stuff fit in here oh what are they doing that ability to be curious about are the the clients now talking about what they think and their beliefs oh wow they want some cbt Uh, or by golly they're talking about their upset but they're 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 talking about how they keep getting sore stomachs oh wow maybe it's gut brain axis uh well they'll do a particular movement as you say the 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 pigeon you know they do the ah what's this behavioral association we've got going here and our real skill is the ability to recognize and attune and then co-create some kind of beneficial change as different from the solo activities of the client which unfortunately are hitting you know which aren't gelling yeah so our hope is that the book will be as Richard said a springboard we could only fit so much in a book of course uh, we've gathered so many 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 hundreds of articles since 2013 um, and so we've just distilled you know a small portion of that just as a springboard and we're hoping that you know this will stimulate curiosity for people to go and, and research more. And of course, we have our platform, the science of psychotherapy.net, where you can dive in and go deeper and, and, and explore more. How did the title come about? Yes, um, well, well <laughs> we, we start because we, we're working with Nortons in, in America, who are you know sort of the, the one of the the principal publishers of uh of therapeutic 
uh, books. You know, it's, it's pretty pretty heady company we're in there. So we said, well, let's call. We had a bit of discussion, and eventually we got them to accept the science of psychotherapy. They were a bit worried about um, uh, Lou Cosolino's book, The Neuroscience of Psychotherapy. We said, no, 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 no it's quite different. So we got them to put their brand, you know, our our brand in there. Um, which was fabulous. And uh, you might see behind me the Mirroring Hands book, the one I wrote with uh, Ernest Rossi, is, is the practitioner's guide to. So I thought, oh, I could get a, I could get sort of like a, like a, a, a recognized series here. So we, yeah, I suggested that to them and they do it. So now, um, uh, so now maybe all my books will be the practitioner's guide to, I don't know, uh, Matt and I will write, but, but volume two. So it, it really was a, a pragmatic, uh, a pragmatic type of, of process. And and the cover too, uh, you know, which we could show it, but we haven't got one yet. It's on a, it's on a ship somewhere. But um, yeah. we started out with sort of bold, you know, sort of uh, bold blues and things. And they came back with a very pastel-y sort of thing, but a, a nondescript type of image. And then we thought, oh, no, the pastels are right. And we've eventually got this uh, lovely, uh, diverse... Uh, but light-looking cover, which has got the two heads of the of the relationship, but above it we have and around it we have uh, just gentle images of of DNA and of the brain and of the heart and of uh, of all those other aspects of the body that we're trying to say this is this is about a whole bunch of stuff. So yeah. beautifully, it was a it was a, a co-creative process, uh, yeah. and so we kind of practiced what we preached. I think probably the the practitioner's springboard to the science of psychotherapy would be even more on point. But yeah, uh, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe that's for the uh, for the marketing people at Norton. That wouldn't be the right sort of <laughs> <laughs> title. Yeah, there's there's so far. There's no you can take things so far. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and how can people find out more or get in contact or? Or look at you know, your your other works. Where 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 should our listeners go to? Certainly. So you can go to thescienceofpsychotherapy.com, and that is the place where you will find our podcast and uh, other free things. And for people that want to jump on board into the academy, that is thescienceofpsychotherapy.net. And they'll, and they'll find links on the science of psychotherapy.com that, yeah. um, and, and it gives descriptions of what we do in the academy. So the, the academy we have, uh, we've, we've, uh, really curated, um, you know, the, the many, many articles that we've got. We've got a lot of video work. We've got about 450, um, so you a bit more now, um, sort Over of course. Over 500 now, and it's, mm -hmm. it's nearly a 1,000 hours of, uh, of educational material, some of which, uh, you know, we're, we're, we've sort of formatted into uh, where you can get a certificate, so you can take that to your association. And um, we're, we're still working on that because there's a lot, because uh, we produced a magazine, um, uh, uh, 50-page, uh, you know, three or four or five article magazine every month. So that's all a part of your, of, of your engagement uh, with us. And, uh, and in fact, actually, this month, we're making that available for uh, making that freely available, making it open access for the month. 
So our March issue, which includes John Arden's forward to our book, Catherine Rossi doing some wonderful work on mind-to-body work with grief. Um, we've got Matt doing terrific uh, uh, looks into um, uh, McGilchrist, the McGilchrist's current book and talking about that aspect of, of um, uh, psychopathology, schizophrenia, uh, left brain. And there's a, a couple of comments from me in there somewhere. And so that's available and you can just go in there and you can find links uh, to that at those sites. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. And uh, before we finish up, I need to ask, because I'm always interested, what's, what's next for you both? Volume two. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I just um, have to turn my light on. It's getting, it's getting dark yeah. in Sydney. So, uh, uh, yeah, Matt. Well, we've really got our work cut out for us in, in terms of expanding what we already have on uh, the science of psychotherapy. So uh, we want to do more documentaries. Um, we're out there, you know, doing a lot of interviews. So documentaries and just expanding um, our base of knowledge. Yeah. So, I mean, the documentaries will we'll do probably about three or four a year i mean this is on top of the magazine this all becomes this you know freely access to our members and uh, but non-members can purchase it as a one-off it's you mm. know only about five or ten dollars it's but we've done one on the gut brain axis uh which is really helpful because there's so much that can go wrong in in our cognitive perception and our, our emotive perception because of what's going on in the gut the second mm. one was on autism and uh, we were just so fortunate to get Temple Grandin to come in and have a chat to us. And Steve Porges is in there talking about his wonderful work with uh, with what's going on in the ear uh, and how you can improve autistic states from just uh, training the ear uh, to, to work more successfully. We're now working on two sort of a, a bit as we add the material, but one on schizophrenia, uh, which I think is really helpful because not that, Therapist, psychotherapist should be treating schizophrenia. But if you've got someone coming into your clinic with behavioral and various issues and it is schizophrenia, how do you know? You need to, you need to be able to have some indicator, some insight to be able to say, oh, well, just a minute, I think you need to go see a psychiatrist. I think we need to, to move this further. So it's, again, this recognizing, attuning, and then co-creating a, a beneficial experience. And um, we're also just beginning some work on uh, grief which I think is a terribly important um, area of concern. And I think grief is one of the big things that we'll be dealing with in the, the next uh, decade, but certainly in the next short term, because there has been a lot of loss, not only of life, but of possessions, of things that in Australia, overseas. The world's a bit mad, but there's going to be a lot of grieving in the next mm, uh, little yeah, while. Absolutely. Thank you very, very much for, for, for that. I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your you know, uh, knowledge and, and you know, what you've accumulated over an extensive period of time as, as, you know, as human beings, if I can call it, you know, just that as well from, from different, different walks. And you know, for, for me, it's always fascinating hearing different perspectives. There's, there, there's something that comes from a conversation where we collect things that, that are in line with our thinking and, and it resonates. There's other things that, that hopefully conflicts with our line of thinking so we can, mm-hmm. you know, re-explore or we can, you know, reflect, we can maybe discard something or we can maintain something. I think, I think an open conversation is, is wonderful and that's what I hear what you guys are, are doing as well is, is 
you know, speaking to lots of people and, and keeping a narrative and a conversation going. And, and you know, I think we're all richer for it. And, and you know, I want to thank you both for, for sharing your, your valuable time you know, with me today as well and, and starting you know, another conversation. Uh, Thanks no, so much, yeah, some great directions you took us on, Nesh. It was, it was really good for you. you. You could see that it was uh, uh, the hard to shut us up, but we, <laughs> this, this, it, was, it was beautiful. I was really, really loving your, uh, your, your interest and your curiosity. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us on the show. Thanks very much, Richard. Appreciate it, Matt. If you enjoyed this podcast, please support it by going to iTunes and putting a review. Subscribe. Share it via social media. And tell others about it. Start a conversation. It's listeners like you that make this able and possible and why we bring in these guests to go out and share their knowledge and resources. And just lastly, if you are a psychologist and you want to go out and be part of a bigger team, develop your experience and get into some exciting work, come to strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers and reach out. I'd love to hear from you.